right, well, good morning from my side. For those of you in person, I don't know what it was like online, but that was a loud intro to the video. So that was just in case anyone was, was starting to nod off already. We wanted to make sure that you were awake. Um, but just to echo what Sue said, I also thought that last week was incredibly practical. Thank you so much to Vanna. I don't know if Peter's here this service. He might be here for the next service. But to Vanna, Peter, and Tammy, incredibly practical. If you missed out, please make sure that you go and watch the video or download the podcast at least. We've been taking a look at a couple of changes that we're encouraging people to to consider when it comes to money. Uh, it probably doesn't take too much convincing to agree that money is a fairly significant influence in our lives, right? Money is what helps us to eat, it's what helps us to have some type of shelter. Uh, in some cases, we're able to enjoy things because we're able to actually afford it. If you're parents, you want to be able to educate your children. Um, th there's so many things that come back to money. For the most part, most of us work for money, right? Put your hand up if you work for money. Put your hand up if you don't work for money. Because we're looking for volunteers all the time. So if you're happy to work for free, like we'll take you. Um, for the most part, now look, obviously there are some people that, that, that genuinely have a choice. They, they have enough you know, financial uh, freedom in, in, in inverted commas, which is more of a Western term or, or Western thought, uh, to, to kind of do what they want. But for the vast majority, uh, we're, we're kind of working because we need to work. Um, in some cases, I would say in rare cases, people actually get to do something that they genuinely care about and are passionate about, and it's amazing. Don't, don't ever take for granted when you're able to actually do something that, that you enjoy and that you find purpose and meaning in, and you're able to actually make a living from that. That's a, that is a huge blessing. I, I, I honestly do think I'm one of those people. I'm grateful. I, f I feel privileged that I get to, to do something that I think God's made me to do, and I'm very grateful that we are able to eat at the same time and, and actually, you know, keep, a, keep a, a roof over our heads. But, but for, for some of you, you have that sense with teaching, with practicing medicine. Uh, uh, I want to suggest that that shouldn't only be the case for what we would consider to be noble careers. Um, I mean, I think of Ivan and how God has gifted him to, to help with financial management. And, and, and I think, to a large extent, Ivan, you find fulfillment in doing that. Hey? He's, he's, he's shaking his head and saying, probably behind, behind the mask. So, so that means yes, okay? Uh, besides the fact that he gets to add incredible value to us as a church and to our group of churches, also bringing in that skill. He's been a good steward of that, of that skill. So please don't think that this is, I mean, guys, we're, we're sitting on a stage that was built by someone that has a gift for building. We're in a hall that was designed by someone that has a gift for design and architecture, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, everything that we're enjoying as a church, I mean, whether, whether you're watching through a, a computer screen or a phone screen right now, and the fact that we have cameras, guys, we can add purpose. We can have purpose in, in so many different careers. It doesn't only have to be what the, what the world would consider a noble or, or a modest career. You can make a difference. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about, excepting to say that, that money plays a big role, right? And in many cases, we kind of lose perspective in terms of why we do what we do and it lands up being for a paycheck. And so I really would encourage us to be thoughtful about that. So we've looked at a couple of changes. The first one, is that we took a look at how we need to change, in some cases, our focus, our trust, our hope, being in the provision to actually changing it, to shifting it to being in the provider. So, so yes, we need provision, 
but we don't want to put our trust. We don't, want to, we don't want to ultimately declare that money can save us, that money is the source of my security, that money is the source of my identity. Last week, I thought that the panel did a great job at looking at stewardship and, and how, where necessary, we need to make a change, if we're not already doing this, into being intentional with a budget and with actually recording. Because it doesn't help if you only have a plan, but you don't like check out whether or not you're doing anything with that plan. And then reviewing it, so actually seeing you know, whether or not we need to make adjustments. And, and just looking at practical principles, like, like our, you know, percentages of giving and saving and, and how we manage and steward the rest. And today, I wanna take a look at the idea of simplicity, which I think is a major change for some of us. To actually consider the, the priorities that we have and whether or not we're living an overly cluttered life or if we have a somewhat focused life. Just to be clear, super, uh, uh, to, be, to live a life of simplicity is not to live a life that's superficial. It's the complete opposite. It's actually to live a life that is very, very focused. It's where we, it's where we know what matters most and we try and avoid those things that compete for our attention and our affection. And so the, the change that I'm presenting or that I'm proposing for today is that we actually remove any distractions that would actually compete for our attention and our affection. Take a look at the screens with me. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 onwards says, teach those, this, this is Paul, one of the early church leaders writing to a young pastor, Timothy, he's, he's instructing him on how to encourage and teach people that are in his sphere of influence that are, humanly speaking, wealthy. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. He's not saying teach them not to be rich. He's saying teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And again, the last 18 months in some cases has proven that it's not completely reliable. Their trust, rather, should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, I mean, he's not very polite. He's like, just tell them. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. Look at this. So that they may experience true life. There is a way to live. The way of Jesus is actually a way that leads to true life. It's life that is abundant. It is life that is flourishing. It is life that is unencumbered by, by, by almost like the, the tentacles of materialism and, and the things that can so easily distract us from actually enjoying what matters most. Again, you will find that word enjoyment or enjoying in that passage. God's view towards money is not to remove joy from our lives. I honestly believe it's actually to free us up to experience more joy. Can I say that again? God's view towards money is not to remove and suck the joy out of life. So, so this is the challenge. I think sometimes if, if you're in a relationship with God and if you've been around church and around other Christians for a long time, you may have experienced some of these tensions where, where there's a part of you that almost feels like, am I allowed to enjoy that? Like, am I allowed to enjoy that meal? Am I allowed to take my family out or my girlfriend out or my boyfriend out or, you know, like for a date? Like, are we allowed to? 
And, and I would say that if you can afford it, and if, you, and if you're living within the, you know, the, a particular perspective, and you're, absolutely, why can't you enjoy that? Why can't you enjoy the clothing? I mean, hopefully you're more or less enjoying the clothing that you're wearing. Uh, like, like, but there's a way to manage our money where we actually can't, we don't, experience, we don't experience peace paying off what you're wearing over the next six months. Well, then you're probably not enjoying it quite as much. Or if you're having to pay off that meal that you took your boyfriend or girlfriend out to over the next couple of months, you're probably not going to be in. But, but God's plan, his, his approach to money, I think, is actually there to, to facilitate a deeper level of joy and peace. He's saying don't trust in money. Be rich in good works, and this will actually lead us to true life. Our kind of working definition, I'm totally stealing this from a church called Bridgetown Church. I love the way that they define simplicity. Simply the following, limiting the number of our possessions and expenses, activities and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully. I would add, and effectively, in the kingdom with Jesus. I'll say that again. Simplicity is limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations. Some, I mean, I don't know what it's like at the moment because of some of the restrictions we have, but I mean, there are times where, where parents will allow their kids to get involved in like 17 different extracurricular activities, and life is miserable because they're exhausted and running from, from pillar to post, trying to facilitate their kid being an expert at 17 different things, which is, by sheer definition, impossible or where we are constantly chasing after one experience, and it can even be good experiences in and of themselves, but where, or, or where you're trying to be the best friend to 20 different people. Simplicity is limiting the number of possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully and effectively in the kingdom with Jesus. The reason I add effectively is because this isn't just a self-centered freedom. When we are following Jesus, there is, there is always going to be a desire to also fulfill his purposes. So we want to be effective and fruitful in his purposes. So simplicity is not about what you can't have. It's more about what you're actually choosing to prioritize and, what, and, and, and increasingly see, seeing what matters most. So here are four ideas around simplicity. The first is simply that it provides focus. Simplicity provides focus. Focus. There's a group of guys called The Minimalists. They've written a couple of books. They have a show on Netflix. I, I think I watched the first few minutes. If I'm honest, I got a little bit bored, but I know some people love it. But I do like the following statement. Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from it. That's what simplicity is in, in, in their opinion, it, or, or minimalism. It is, it is removing everything that distracts from what matters most. This I found very interesting the other day in Carrie Newhoff's most recent book. He said that the opposite of distraction is traction, which comes from a Latin word meaning to draw or pull, like a tractor, horse, or truck pulls things forward. So, so when we're not distracted, we're actually able to, we actually have traction and we're able to pull, we're actually able to move our lives forward. If you're, if you're married or you have a family, you're able to move your family forward. To put it simply, the reason you don't have traction on the goals and priorities you've set for yourself is that you often get distracted. It's a great book to read, by the way. Soon I've both been going through it. Lots, lots of 
very practical wisdom that comes in there. But I think it comes back to this question of who do I want to become? Am, am I just distracted by, by what needs to get done, or am, I, or am I constantly pulling back? And to Sue's point earlier, am I drawing aside consistently and before God, reflect on God, God, who you called me to be, am I becoming who you've called me to become, or am I just responding to everything that is screaming for my attention, everything that is demanding me? Simplicity is focused. I am a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a pastor. That, that actually provides a level of focus. It means I can't do everything that is appealing and attractive in this world. I mean, I'd like to. I don't know if that's what heaven will be like if I get to do everything that I haven't got or won't get a chance to do. I don't know. But I have to, I have to remember what matters most. It actually narrows the options. To, to narrow the options is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. Ask any spouse how wide they want the options to be for their, other, for their spouse when it comes to other people. Like, they want it to be pretty narrow, okay? Remember, exclusivity leads to intimacy. They, you, you don't want any competition. When you know who you are, you are focused. And if we're honest with ourselves, too often we don't know who we are or who God's trying to form us into, and so we just allow all kinds of stuff to actually compete and distract us. Joshua Becker, also an author, writes quite a bit of simpli uh, on simplicity, used to be a pastor, he writes the following. If minimalism, if minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things that I most value, it is also about deciding what is most important in my life and removing the things that distract me from it. It is about removing the urgent for the sake of the important. Here's the big idea for today. Simplicity helps us live intentionally. Simplicity helps us live intentionally, as opposed to accidentally, as opposed to reactively, as opposed to just drifting from day to day and week to week and month to month. No, guys, come on, let's live with purpose. Let's, let's live with vision. There's a scripture in the Bible that, 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 that describes vision this way. It says that without vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, they, there's no self-control. There are no boundaries. There are no guardrails. I can just do whatever I want. No, no. That's only because you have no vision. If you have a vision for your future, where do I want to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Well, then it's going to kind of narrow the focus. Simplicity leads to focus. Number two, simplicity rejects hoarding. And there's so much in this idea that I think it could be a whole message all on its own, but one of the most sobering passages is where Jesus tells a story of a, of a man who, who was secure in, his, in what he was hoarding. So, so, so he was rich in what the world would describe as being valuable, and he was poor in what was most valuable, which was his relationship with God. In Luke 12, 15, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, beware, God against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I mean, like, guys, I know we know this, right? But can we just allow that to sink in again, just afresh? It's not measured by, by what we own. You can have lots and be a truly poor person. And according to the world, you can have little and be a truly rich person. Now, the truth is also, this is also true conversely. So you can be poor and be a poor person. You can be rich and be a deeply rich person. It's not about the material, it's the heart. 
Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced, by the way, sorry, just before I move on. For those of you that don't know, the world's definition of rich today is very different to what it would have been 2,000 years ago or 100 years ago. What I mean by that is if you have your own vehicle, if you have running water, if, if you're seldom having to worry about your next meal, you're, pr you're probably within the top 10%, in many cases within the top 1% of earners in the world. So, so just, you see, our temptation is to think of the people that are, basically we think of whoever's got a lot more than us. Okay, they're rich. Guys, that's just not true. Anyway, so, so this is just so that you don't look at others. Like, let's look at ourselves. So, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. What a problem. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And, see, here's the problem. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored up for years to come now. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The problem wasn't that he had a lot. The problem was the attitude of complete abdication. I remember when, when I was much younger, like a few years ago, you know, kind of like in my, in my early 20s, you know, I, I would be quite impressed with people who, who had a, a vision to be uh, like financially secure and not having to work, you know, that they could retire like in their 30s. I mean, at the time I was like, okay, that's still quite a way away. It's quite impressive. Then you hit your 30s and you're like, how on earth does anyone do this? Or, or even by their 40s, like how? And, and the thing is, I used to think that that was really noble. Now, in some cases, it is. But it's not noble if the only motive to be able to retire is to be able to sit back and re retire from purpose. You can retire from paid work. In fact, what a blessing. I think it's amazing if you're able to retire from having to work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. But, but if you stop, like if you retire from purpose, you might as well die there and then. Because then why are you alive? You just suck, you're just sucking air. Guys, seriously. I, I, I don't think there's any problem with retiring from paid work. But there's a huge problem with retiring from purpose. Huge problem. Some of you know the story of our, of our previous national leader who, who all treatment has been stopped. He's, he's been suffering with cancer for the last 18 months, give or take, and is in the natural Short of a miracle, the way things are going in the natural will we'll probably leave this earth in about six months' time, five to six months' time. He's living with purpose. Like, like his days are numbered, but Donovan, he's got, he's got a prayer list. Every day he's praying for people. He's thinking through people. He's phoning other people. He's following up with others. He's encouraging others. If you know Donovan, you know that Donovan will have purpose until his last breath. Because that's just, that's just the revelation that he has. You can retire from paid work. Don't retire from, from purpose. The problem here was his attitude. Then, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up treasure, earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Not, he's not a fool 
to have earthly wealth, but he's a fool to store up earthly wealth, put my faith and trust in that, and not be rich in my relationship with God. So I'm just encouraging us that simplicity is not hoarding, all right? There's a difference between saving and and being prudent and actually hoarding, where it's a fear-driven thing. Number three, simplicity leads to contentment. Some of you know uh, quite a well-known quote where a journalist was interviewing John D. Rockefeller, who at the time was the richest man in the world. And he was asked, how much is enough? Bear in mind, he's the richest man in the world. How much is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. That speaks to a heart that is discontent, ungrateful, incapable of of, of actually just experiencing peace and, 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 and limit. Just a little bit more. Contentment, again, is a heart issue. It's not a bank balance. Contentment actually is more than a heart issue. It's a relationship with God issue. I love the way that Bethany Allen says the following, in order for us to practice simplicity in our lives, we must first confront the soul ache within to take notice of why we are driven to consume and then to invite God to meet us there. Although I would argue that God invites us to meet him there. We're not having to actually invite God. God, 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 I would say that God's using that opportunity to invite us to meet him there, allowing him to show us and teach us how to be satisfied in him. It is through the discipline and practice of contentment that we extinguish the fire of more in our lives and ultimately find freedom to live lives of simplicity. When, when we give in to complexity and clutter, and we just have to have a little bit more, and have to have a little bit more, and have to have a little bit more, it is not about what we, it is no longer about what we think we need. It is about a soul ache. There is something deeper going on, and that can only be found in a, in a peace, in a rest, in an intimacy with God. Simplicity leads to contentment. I'm not telling it'll be quick or short or easy, but I'm saying that the more that, that, that we stop putting our, our subconscious, and it's not conscious for most of us, our subconscious faith and hope in, if I just get that, I'll feel better. Because think about it, we don't, we don't say this consciously. We don't, we don't think like, okay, if I can just get that top, or if I can just get that pair of shoes, or if I can just get that car, or if I can just get that house, all will be right with my life. Like, like we don't think that consciously, but we do subconsciously. If I can just have that experience, if I can just go there, if I can, and that's understandable. That's our human nature, but I'm saying, guys, we have to recognize that there's something deeper that is aching beneath us. Number four, simplicity allows for generosity. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Although I would add that it is no strings attached generosity. And in some cases, even anonymous generosity. Now, I don't think it has to be anonymous. I think it's all about our heart. I think when Jesus speaks about anonymously giving in Matthew 6, I think that he's addressing the heart. He's saying don't, because there are three examples in Matthew 6. When you... By the way, it says when you give, not if you give, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And all three of them, he's, he's basically highlighting this thing of don't do it to impress others. 
But I don't, but you see, I think that there are times, like I know there have been times in my life where, where I actually don't want to do it confidentially because I actually want the person to know that we love them, that we're that we supporting them, that, that we're encouraging them. But there are other times where, where because of my own heart, I need to do it anonymously. I need to do it in a way that I'm not doing this for the praise or I'm not doing it for, for that, again, and it's often subconscious, like you have that hook in that person. Guys, if you're giving to somebody with strings attached. Please don't call, don't call it a gift. Call it a debt. I am indebting you to me. I'm gonna buy your house. I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you on holiday. And I'm, I'm even talking in the context of family. Like there are some dysfunctional scenarios where, where, where parents even keep a hold on their kids, their adult kids, by acts of generosity. But it ain't... Anyway, I think you get the point. All right. 1 Timothy 6. We started with that. Let's go back to that quickly. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share. I would, I would say that a good litmus test for us, even in buying stuff, is would I be willing to share this? Would you, if you're going to buy that car, would you be willing to share that with someone if they, if they need it for some reason? I just, think it's, I just think it's a good taste of my heart. In other words, do I have it or does it have me? Can I hold on to it relatively loosely? Anyway, you know the rest of the passage there. Generosity is the attitude, sorry, is the antidote to greed. I really need to hurry up. John Wesley, the great Methodist founder and, and, and minister, wasn't against earning more but he was against holding on to more. He, he, he committed, I forget the term that he uses, but, but basically to limits in his life. He committed to a, to, a, to, a, to a standard of living and committed to a standard of loving. So, so, at, so just, just bear with me, these numbers are gonna be completely ludicrous in our context, but at the time, I think it was something like 28 pounds a year is what he felt like he needed to live on and, and it would adjust with inflation although there was virtually no inflation at the time. And so even, and I think at first he was earning, you know, at that time he was maybe earning about 32 pounds. By the end of his life, he was earning something like a thousand, like over a thousand pounds a year because of book sales and, and, and all the rest. But he continued to live off of 28 pounds because he, he saw it as a stewardship issue, as, as an issue of, is God entrusting me with more to, to bless others? And so he said this, he said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. There aren't a lot of yours and amens. Simplicity <laughs> allows us to be generous. Am I just, am I only increasing my standard of living or am I increasing my standard of loving? And by the way, just to be clear, I mentioned this two weeks ago, I am not speaking. Right now, clearly, I am not speaking to people that are stuck in a pit of poverty, that don't know how to provide the next meal. I'm, so please, please hear what I'm saying. But I'm talking to those of us that have any kind of agency for us to keep checking our hearts. All right, practically, just, just the last couple of minutes, allow me to run through a few very quick ideas of how we can practically actually approach simplicity in our lives. None of you are looking encouraged, so stick with me. We'll pray, and maybe God can lift your spirits by the time you leave. Uh, number one, consider the true cost of the item. 
Consider the true cost of the item. What, what I mean by this, and by the way, I'm, I've gotten these ideas from a combination of a book that Richard Foster wrote in the late 70s, still, still considered one of the classics of spiritual formation, and, and certain adaptations that John McComer put into his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But this idea of considering the true cost of the item is, okay, maybe you buy that motorbike, is, is that going to make life easier or is it going to make life increasingly complex? What is the true cost? How often am I going to have to service it? Is it going to take more time for me to service it? Can I, what, what about the gear? Now, now the answers may be all in the affirmative. Like, it's fine. It, it's, it's actually going to be cheaper. It's actually going to, it's, it's, maybe you can justify, if, for example, if the bike is, is bought for the purpose of, of being more efficient time-wise, especially in Cape Town where you can drive through the traffic, well, when traffic comes back again, traffic's a lot better. But, but just to consider the real cost. What about insurance? What about fuel? Those of us that, that, that have been fortunate enough to, to, get, to buy a car or a motorbike, like the first time you did that, most of us weren't trained how to prepare for that. And so you just look at the, the price of the car and think, I can't afford that. And then you realize, ugh, insurance, ugh, services, ugh, petrol, ugh. Yes, tires, holy smokes. Like, what the freak? Why do tires cost so much? So, so just, just consider the true cost as far as money, time, attention. Is it going to hold on to my heart or am I going to be able to enjoy it? Number two, by the way, for any wives out there, this, that wasn't a plug against motorbikes, okay? I'm trying to use it as an example. Number two, reject anything that feeds addiction. All right? If, if, if you are someone who, who leans a little bit towards the compulsive, you know, if you... If, <sighs> which I do, I mean, I wish I didn't, but I just do. Like, I don't know why, it's just it's part of my makeup. So I've gotta be very careful what I, what I allow myself to enjoy because I'd want too much, like, like maybe that's why I haven't had too many hobbies over the years because I think I've become obsessive over it. Now, now that's, that's me, you've gotta know your personality. Um, we, when, when COVID hit, we became obsessive with sugar, as you can see, for a while, you know? So, so, so let me, so, so I'm trying to cut back on anything that could feed addiction, whether it's stimulants, sugar, alcohol, drugs, social media, whatever. Some, some people need to quit Netflix for a season. That got the biggest response of the day. Okay, there we are. Next week, preaching on Netflix, everybody. And it, and it may not just be about saving the 100 Rand or 160 Rand or whatever plan you're on. It's, it could be more about actually freeing up. Do yourself a favor and just monitor how many hours are spent a week. I mean, you can do this, most of you can do this on your phone in terms of media and, and all the rest. Anyway, reject anything if it's addiction. Number three, never impulse buy. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, I just like it. That is hard. Any, anyone think that that's hard? Okay, can we just, can we just, tell you that we think the rest of you are lying, okay, right now, and God is watching. I've got to tell you, it's, it's weird. I mean, there have been a few things for us, even just over the last couple of months, where, where I'm so grateful that I'm married to Sue, because she's like, no, let's think about that. And I'm like, Ivan, yeah, great idea. But I'm so glad that we have actually waited on some of those things. Like, I'm just telling you, I don't understand how people can window shop. Like, I feel like that's like, hey, won't you just beat me over the head? Like, for a while, you know? Like, 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 
like I'm going to delight in, in wanting stuff I can't have. Like, that's just weird to me. I, I, so, now you might enjoy that, all right? But if it leads to impulse buying, maybe don't do that. I, I don't know the stats, but I've heard repeatedly the idea that, that shopping is literally the favorite pastime of more and more people. Like, like it, is, it is now a hobby. It is, it is, it is, it is recreation. So be careful. Number four, recognize advertising as propaganda. Now, I'm very sorry to those of you that are in marketing. This is not an anti-marketing slur, okay? We need marketers for the right stuff. And we need marketers that'll tell the truth, right? They are, I mean, believe it or not, there are some good products out there. There are some helpful products out there. We, marketers are not the problem, per se. But if we start buying into the lie that, that you will look sexier, that you will be better, that you will, I mean, I, I, I remember years ago, it's standing out to me, we, 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 were, we were in Plate on holiday, um, and I went for a run, I think it was in, Cl uh, what's that place just past Plate? There's like another little beach. Anyway, doesn't matter, hey? No, don't worry. And they were advertising a retirement village, like on big, big billboards, but it was like, you deserve this. You've earned this. And it's this great-looking older couple that are like just living the life with like a sparkling pool and lovely lush green oils. Now, I'm like, I, I've got no problem with the retirement village, but like, it just, it's just so, mm, you know, that car is going to make you look like a model driving around the you know, Norwegian fjord. Like, it's, I don't know. It just, guys, be careful, all right? Like, like, I, even, even smartphone manufacturers are starting to cotton on the fact that people are starting to cotton on the fact that they don't actually need to replace their phone every two years. Like, has anyone been, dis anyone been disappointed the last few years with upgrades? It's like, basically, it's a better camera. Uh, my photos are okay right now, you know. Anyway, number five, when you can, share. There was actually a statement that the early church or at least one early, early church father said, which is, we hold everything in common except our wives. <laughs> Just letting that sink in for a moment. And husbands, they say. But, but basically, the approach was, hey, we're a community. We don't all need to have a tow bar. Frankly, everyone doesn't need to have a car. I mean, more and more, I mean, I'm finding that, that, that more and more younger people are actually, in some cases, choosing to not have a car because actually they've done the maths and they, and they, and they figured out that with public transport and, and Uber, they, it's actually gonna cost them less than if they were to commit to a monthly payment and insurance and fuel and services and all the rest. So, but, but, but there are times where that person might need help with moving something or we've, we've kind of always, we've had a tow bar for many years so there have been times where people needed to use the car to pull a trailer. Like, great. Sam and Irwin are getting married on Friday. Irwin's <laughs> excited on the inside, just so you know. So, so, so Sam, Sam lives in a, in a small flat attached to our property, which for better and for worse, they've chosen to stay in for the next while. We'll, we'll see if they regret that decision. But anyway, everyone was moving some of his stuff across this weekend and somehow they were commenting last night about the fact that, 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 that they don't have an iron. Sam doesn't have an iron. And we're like, we've got an iron. Like, do you actually need to buy an iron? Erwin never dresses in anything smart enough to iron, so, so it's not like he needs it very often anyway. I'm joking, I'm joking. Not joking. So, Irwin used to be a lawyer. He used to have to, or practice law, rather, should I say. Uh, so, he'd have, have to wear smart shirts and stuff to work. Now he works with us, so, he, so he's a little bit of a scully. Um, <laughs> but but my, my, my point being that, like, we can share that. 
There's, there's stuff that we, that we can share. You don't have to own every tool that might be needed every couple of years. Like, like you can share. Anyway, hey guys, like, like this makes sense. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for people that have holiday homes. Like, please, those of you that can afford it, buy holiday homes. Like, just share. On a very serious note, by the way, just in case you're watching this or, or sitting here and you're thinking, like, like, am I allowed to have anything extra? People still had money in Jesus' time. People still had homes. People had extra money that they could help finance the work that, that Jesus did. And even, even in the book of Acts, you read how they sold stuff and shared, but, but it also said that they met in homes day to day, which meant that people had homes. Like, it wasn't a new form of socialism. Like, it's okay. And I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful for people that have got the means, then they've stewarded it well, and they're able to share stuff. Like, so please don't feel bad if you've got stuff. Guys, that's, that's not the point of the message. The message, or the question rather, is does it have me, and how can I best steward that? Number six, live by a budget. We spoke about that last week. Plan, record, review, give, save, steward the rest. But the key is to actually do it. There is, I don't know how you live, how you move towards simplicity without a budget. Number seven, appreciate simple pleasures. Appreciate simple pleasures. I am so grateful. Guys, we live in Cape Town. I mean, those of us here, some of you watching online, you don't, and it sucks to be you. But, but, but we live in Cape Town, where, where if, you, if, you live, if you're anywhere near this church, you're in walking distance of the beach. You're in walking distance of one of the most spectacular views in the world. You can enjoy a sunrise, you can enjoy a sunset, you can enjoy an evening stroll, you can enjoy a face-to-face -face meal with people that matter to you, even if, it's, even if you can't afford to have a very nice meal. In fact, I wonder if sometimes our ability to enjoy something more complex sometimes actually diminishes our ability to value and, and appreciate the one that we're having it with. I like this statement from John Mark Comey. He says, if materialism despiritualizes us, the material world itself has the opposite effect. It re-spiritualizes our souls. And that, that's, I'm just telling you, our, where we live, that does it for me. Every day, I, my family, I drive them crazy. There's hardly a day that I don't appreciate our bay, the mountain. When I get to go and enjoy a walk in Newlands Forest or go to Kirsten, like it's just, there is, there's something about, so, 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 so material world isn't bad, materialism is, and lastly, and we're all gonna wrap up and pray in a moment, develop a habit of generosity. Develop a habit of generosity. This will help us move towards simplicity. It is Jesus, not Jason, who said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe, maybe you want to get to a place where you can have a small portion on your budget, and, and you might have to start off like super small, where you just have like a blessing fund. Like it's just grace giving. You don't have to think too hard about it. You don't have to do all the sums and analyze whether or not people are going to be a good student. Like just if you, if you have a prompting, you can just give. And you're not giving out of debt. You're actually giving out of like a, a healthy place. Give generously no strings attached. God help us if we call it generosity when no strings attached. Come on, can I get you to stand with me? As you do, I want to remind you to start where you are, not where you want to be. And to pursue progress, 
not perfection. If, if anything about this message today has added condemnation and shame to you, then you've missed my heart. And I think we're missing the heart of God. This is an invitation, guys. I think that God is inviting us to a life that is increasingly free to enjoy Him, to enjoy others, and to live as effectively and presently and fruitfully in the kingdom of God. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to sense your heart, help us to obey your will for our lives individually. Please help us not to get distracted with what this might look like for somebody else. Help us not to compare with, with someone else's application of your principles. Help us to look at where we are, to know that we're all in a different place in our journey and to actually seek to hear and obey you. Whatever that looks like, God. But I pray that you would help us to see the invitation towards freedom, an invitation towards, towards a life that is uncluttered, where we're not bogged down, weighed down by all kinds of unnecessary distractions. God, whatever that looks like, help us to live lives that are streamlined. I think of that passage in Hebrews 12 where it encourages us to, to throw off every weight that hinders us, especially the sin that trips us up so that we can run the race that has been marked out for us with perseverance. Help us, Lord, to remove every, every weight that is not from you so that we can run the race that you have called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you agree with that prayer, say amen.